Hi, and uh, thanks very much for joining us for the latest in our Sustainable Futures Career Conversations. I'm here today with Peter Bragg uh, from Canon. And Peter, I'd just like you to introduce yourself. Thanks, Paul. So, yeah, um, I'm the uh, Director for Sustainability and Government Affairs for Canon's EMEA region. Fantastic. Sounds like an interesting job, and we'll come into that in a minute. What I wanted to do first, though, is just explore a little bit how you got into the world of sustainability, environmental management in the first place. Take you back. Yeah, it feels a long time ago now, Paul. Um, So perhaps one of the the early adopters. Um, I found myself in a degree, actually, in environmental science uh, at Portsmouth University, um, graduated in 1997, so yeah, 26 years ago uh, this year. Um, But actually, unlike a few people, I think, on my course, uh, I did something definitely sparked, especially in my final year. I remember doing a module on, I think it was business and environment, and I thought, oh, that's that's far better than all of the chemistry and analysis that we had to do. So I decided to pursue a career and see if I could get get a job, kind of doing that sort of thing. Um, Hit lucky in uh, finding a local small business. In fact, it was a a one-man band who was looking to to kind of expand a little bit. Um, So found myself with a small consultancy, um, actually doing ISO 14001 and supporting, at that time, nearly nearly all our work was for Ford Motor Company, taking some of their sites through ISO 14001. Yes. That was the point where it was transitioning, wasn't it, between 7750 and 14,000? Yeah, and I think Ford had made a, cl- a global commitment to, uh, to get 14,001 across all its sites. So, so, yeah, that was a fantastic introduction to uh, environmental management as a whole. Which, you know, 14,001 is a great basis for that, yes. understanding a bit about legislation and, um, yeah, just really how, how businesses work. So... It was very much the early start of, of businesses starting to take it seriously, I think. Before then, it was all about the compliance bit, and, and then it became management systems allowed them to say, OK, there's, there's more we can do yeah. with it. Yeah. So you stayed in consultancy for a while, didn't you, then? I, did. was... I think uh, I, was, I was fortunate in my, my last, that period, last period in consultancy to find myself on a secondment in a corporate role, and I just really enjoyed being part of a, of a corporate team, I think building some of those relationships inside the business, seeing longer-term projects, seeing them through. Um, I remember getting involved in you know, the kind of annual corporate sustainability report and you know, similar kinds of activities like that. And so I really felt, oh, this is an area I'd like to be into. You know, tr- consultancy can be quite transitory in terms of project to project or client to client, and that's, that's part of the enjoyment yes. for, for, for many breath, people. It? it does. But, not, um, not so but yeah, so uh, yeah, decided then to pursue that corporate yes. corporate career. And that was, I think you were saying, with a, um, a, a, a secondment in the first instance with National Grid and then yeah. moving into a, a permanent role with RailTrack, National Grid? Yeah, Network Rail. It was RailTrack for a while, and yes. I went delve into the politics around that but that after I think I was with them six nine months and it became uh, Network Rail Um, but I actually stayed with Network Rail for I think nearly nine years Um, really fantastic um, role or actually a variety of roles I spent time in the corporate team um, again looking at corporate reporting management systems um, taking a bit of a lead on compliance and working with regulators that was my first time really uh, I think you know, look, talk, working with the Environment Agency on a on a memorandum of understanding and that kind of thing, 
Um, and in the latter, latter period of my time with Network Rail, working on a, on a very big kind of mega project as it was then, uh, not quite as big as some of the big projects around today, HS2, etc. but that was the Thameslink programme, right. which is upgrading the, the Thameslink line through London. So I think it was about a three, £3.2 billion project working again in the client team. Um, and were you on the sort of environmental permitting? Was that the sort of entry point or was it a, a broader role? Um, it was a broader role actually and that was probably um, my first exposure to uh, environmental impact assessment and that process. Um, at that time that was through a Transport and Works Act agreement but uh, during that period actually helped to take a, a, a much smaller project through that process really to get it towards public inquiry of um, you know, looking at surveys, looking at impacts. So again, really interesting and very different to what I'd done before. Yes. Um, and that again gave me, I think, a really good uh, understanding, I suppose, of uh, you know, environmental impacts in a wider yes. sense and, and how you how you can use a legislative permitting process yes. to to kind of manage those and get you through a, you know, a planning approval process. Okay. And, and those sort of wider experiences led you to a role with Eurostar. And, uh, they did, yeah. yeah. So, um, again, I, I, it was Eurostar was, again, a fantastic opportunity, having spent quite a long time with Network Rail. One thing I realised that I hadn't had uh, a kind of customer you know, uh, any customer focus, you know, like any big infrastructure company, perhaps changed a bit now. And I know there's a lot more focus in Network Rail now on who its customers actually are. But, you know, it's um, Eurostar was a great opportunity to work for a much bigger brand that really was putting probably one of the early, again, early adopters in really putting sustainability uh, at the core of its business. Yes. So was that Tread Lightly? It was Tread Lightly, yes. which yes. I, I wasn't the architect of, actually. Richard Brown, who um, had been chief executive, was was mm. the first architect of that. But absolutely brilliant to kind of work with such a recognised brand that, as I said, was really keen on making sure that sustainability was kind of threaded through every part of the customer journey from from booking and the awareness of that, you know, and looking at CO2, did we do CO2 offsetting or not through to yep. the food on board and the uniforms and and everything related to that. So, and again, I think, as I said, I think Eurostar was probably one of the first, if not, I won't, I won't say the first, but it was in that first wave of, I think M&S Plan A was around then yes. and it was when, when big brands really started to recognise that sustainability was um, becoming more and more important to their customers. And, and I think you've said before that, that sustainability wasn't necessarily the reason people that went for Eurostar, but it was really important to highlight the positive impact of that, whether it was their prime decision-making function or not. And I think that speaks to a lot of sustainability. It's around the wider messaging of it, as, as well as the encouragement to actually use it as a decision-making Yeah. Tool. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, that speaks today as much as it did 10 years ago or so with, with Eurostar, that... Uh, I think in, in many segments, there's, you know, there's the small number at the bottom that are committed, uh, sustainable, you know, environmentalists, let's call it, you know, will make, definitely make positive choices based on sustainability credentials. There's a small percentage at the other end who don't care at all and it's yes. no, no interest to them. Yep. Um, but actually it's about swaying that middle ground and getting those people. And it's, for me, it was always about um, the, the kind of making it easy for people and not giving people the positive, almost not, you know, not giving them a choice about it, just make it high quality, make it, make sustainability applicable, real, not away with the fairies, but something that, that was 
you know, for Eurostar, it was about, okay, it was about organic, locally sourced food, but it was also amazing food. Yes. It was really good. And no one's going to really complain about that. So in a way, by, make, by not making an option, we're just saying this is part of the way we do business. Um, yes. And Ahead of its time in many yeah, ways. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah. something that I've tried to take with me and you know, into my current role now with Canon. Yes, so. yes indeed. Just before we come to that, I, I wanted to, you, you, you got the opportunity to travel and work internationally, didn't you? You headed across to Australia for um, a few years. I did, yeah. I got one of those um, fantastic LinkedIn approaches that, um, from, yep, a, from, a, from a recruiter <laughs> over in uh, Sydney um, who'd looked at my rail experience um, and at that time uh, Sydney Trains as had been formed were, was a, a newly formed organisation. It was a little bit like Network Rail coming out of Railtrack um, and they were looking for uh, to be world class or um, you know kind of top top of the tree across a number of areas including sustainability so they'd looked um, looked at the UK and looked at Eurostar as being a really strong example in sustainability terms um, so yeah I got one of those approaches saying would you be interested in talking about a role in Australia so went home talked to my wife and said what do you think and we said well nothing to lose let's see where this goes yep. and um, uh, it, it was one of those this will never go anywhere let's but let's <laughs> give it a go and then a, f a few weeks later pack your container and heading over to Sydney um, but yeah that was uh, an amazing opportunity actually to experience uh, a different culture and Australia is more I think certainly in a business sense probably culturally more I think more different than, than we sometimes think um, no, familiar. There was a familiarity, I suppose, in terms of trains and rail, railways, which I, I understood. Yeah. But yeah, getting to grips. You know, I, I went in as general manager to head up the, the environmental sustainability yeah. function. So I very quickly had to get to grips with a new, you know, kind of the regulatory framework, different laws, quite similar because often they were mirrored or yeah. uh, quite similar to UK law. But even so, you know, having conversations with the regulator if something had gone wrong or on a compliance issue and understanding the different the way the regulations worked. Um, you know, and taking that kind of opportunity, it's something I'd recommend to anyone, you know, to, to be able to work abroad, broaden your horizons and just experience life living and working in a different country. I think it gives you lots of skills. Yeah. I think that's a really important point about sustainability is that so many of the skills are transferable, that it provides lots of opportunities to do different things. Yeah. And then just coming back to the UK, you, you, you sort of uh, came back and, and started back into the consultancy world again, that, that breadth again for a few Yes, years. indeed. Well, it, it was a kind of personal decision to come, come back to the UK. We, we, we always viewed it as a, a bit of a project. And you know, so after, after three years or so in Sydney, um, decided to come back and yeah, secured a role with Jacobs, um, very big obviously a consultancy business um, and again had a yeah, fantastic time working for Jacobs working on different projects uh, generally my focus was kind of rail and infrastructure related obviously because of my background and yeah. Jacobs were keen to harness harness that but again yeah working on on yeah on some big uh, environmental impact assessments and um, you know working projects related to that type of activity yeah. but also um, getting a little bit involved in business development which yeah. was was um, something my earlier part of consultancy I really didn't enjoy the yeah. kind of sales part but yeah. found myself actually enjoying yeah. it a little bit more perhaps perhaps that's it just comes with experience and a bit more confidence but yeah. looking at uh, decarbonisation around the rail industry and what kind of opportunities there could be could yeah. be around that so yeah spent nearly uh, five years with Jacobs. 
decent length of time. And that brings us to where you are now. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what the role is, because you've, you've added a corporate governance piece to that, that, that job description Well, government, well. government, government affairs, affairs, certainly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, it's probably worth just talking about the transition to, to Canon. Um, and as I've described, my long career in kind of infrastructure and trains, and I have to say I felt a little bit pigeonholed, um, was interested actually after five years with Jacobs in getting back to a corporate role and thinking that's really where I feel I can add most value yeah. and, and enjoy myself the most. But um, I think I'm sure many, uh, you know, many colleagues listening to this will, will you know, think, look, I can do sustainability. It's not that hard to move sector. You know, whatever the product is or the industry is, you can learn that. The skills in sustainability are, are fairly consistent. But um, yeah, probably after a few, a few knockbacks, I was absolutely delighted when, again, I was, actually, I was approached by a recruiter, an in-house recruiter at Canon, yeah. um, about this role. And I remember saying to her, saying, but you, know, you have seen my background, haven't you? You yes. do realise it's trains and, yes. and infrastructure. And she said, no, that's fine. I'm really interested in your international experience, which yeah. ties back to the value of that. Um, and you know, the fact you've worked with other, in, you know, with other cultures. Um, but she said exactly that. She said, you can, learn, you can learn about Canon and learn about printers and cameras quite quickly. Yeah. We're interested in you and your skills. So, um, yeah, absolutely you know, really delighted a couple of years ago to have secured the role with Canon. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, within Canon, I, I lead the sustainability and government affairs team. So um, we cover, our team is now nearly approximately 39 people, so quite a big team. Um, I've got a headquarters team that looks at uh, strategy, um, looks at kind of, that's kind of like the expert, technical expert func part of yep. the function as well, um, but also then an outbased team. So the EMEA region that, that we have, that's everywhere from kind of Nordics, Western Europe, all the way across through Eastern Europe, Middle East, and then the whole of Africa as well. So uh, I think we sell into um, approximately 130 odd countries um, across that region. So um, as you can appreciate with that comes quite a lot of compliance issues and it's also product certification, so making sure our products can be legally sold in many of those countries. Uh, that bit's a bit easier in Europe because of you obviously have C marking and consistent frameworks, but go towards Middle East and Africa and every country has its own own approach. Right. Um, so it's managing that side of activity, uh, things like corporate reporting, but then uh, also, and this is very much the, grow the kind of growing activity of the team is uh, supporting our, you know, we're a sales organization yeah. effectively. We, we sell and market products manufactured by Canon in Japan. Um, so it's dealing with customer requests and tenders and bids and the ever increasing uh, kind of question, you know, depth of questions that are being asked. Yes. Uh, that, that sort of brings me to one of the points I wanted to mention, which is around that sort of supply chain, and you're part of that supply chain, both up and down in, in that supply chain process. That presumably is, is one of the big drivers of sustainability at the moment, is, is that pressure from both sides to, to, to do the right thing and, and to be sustainable in, in the, the activities. How does that impact on you on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, it makes my job very busy, actually, because um, it, it's nice being the popular, I feel like sometimes the popular guy in the business. Um, I, I talk about this quite a lot, having worked in sustainability for a while, a, a push-pull dynamic, and for many years, and you'll know this, but, yeah, it felt like always pushing, like, come on, please do some sustainability stuff. Um, that dynamic has become much more of a pull. So uh, the business is saying, is saying, look, we know we need to do sustainability. We know it's really important. 
Um, our customers are telling us it's important. We're getting stuff down from Canon in Japan that we need to do, but we don't really know what to do. You know, help us with that. Yeah. So um, I've actually re recently created a new role in my team as a, a senior strategy manager to yeah. really help help with that workload effectively and act as a business partner. It's a way we're describing it to the business because. Um, as the business understands more, but they, they still need that expert help. Um, we've got huge amount, we don't see it quite so much in the UK, but at a European level, the amount of regulation is huge that's coming over the horizon. And f just the business ad adapting to that and recognizing what it needs to do um, is you know, placing you know, really big demands on the team. Yes. And is that where the sort of government affairs part fits in, in terms of that regulation and, and where that that, that sort of impinges on the sustainability agenda. Yes, absolutely. So um, our government affairs function is, is quite small. Um, we, and based in Brussels, we don't have a big kind of huge lobbying team or anything. The way Canon tends to, uh, op we operate is through trade associations um, to, and that's the way we do our you know, influencing and monitoring of emerging legislation. Um, that function looks across uh, all bits of regulation, not just sustainability. So, yep. you know, big things around AI and cybersecurity, Data Act, all of these big bits of EU regulation. Um, but that's just really the first part of the process. I, I again describe it internally. It feels like there's a, I've got a kind of drain pipe um, from Brussels to to London um, and Annalisa, my government affairs manager who in Brussels kind of does what she can across the trade associations and pushes stuff down the pipe. But equally important is we have to pick that up at the other end and say, what does this mean for us? Yes. You know, what's the business impact of this? What's the risk of this? What's the opportunities of this? How does that get propagated around the business? How does that feed into strategy? What do we need to do across all these areas? So part of my team is, a, a again, it's a reformed role that we've, we, I, created last year of a, a senior regulatory affairs manager. So partly supporting the Brussels function, but actually also just, if you think we, we have a relationship with Canon Inc as our parent organization. So some of that regulation will be influencing product design and um, product, uh, yeah, things like product information. So that needs to go up to Japan um, okay. to, to, so that they understand what needs to be done in an appropriate time. Um, but some of that as well is you know, where that legislation is impacting up within Europe, us as a business, and what do we need to do about that. So CSRD is you know, a great example of that, big one at the moment, you know, looking at what does that mean for us, how are we going to report on that in future, what's the scope, what's the boundaries, um, and what's the, the opportunity that that can bring as well. And, and, and that sort of leads me to, to one of my other questions, which is around the sort of where sustainability is going and, and that sort of ESG. So we, we've talked a little about the environment, the social bit is there as well, and then the governance side. And, and, and that sort of um, me, uh, melding together of, of those three elements of, of the sustainability agenda. How are you seeing that in the future? If you sort of push it, put it forward five, ten years. Your, your crystal ball, how yeah. clear is it at the moment? Um, uh, it's probably still quite opaque, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, at a business sense, sustainability is becoming more and more just a way of doing business. And I know our, our CEO and president, um, he, 
Now, he's talked about it as being a matter of company survival going forward, that if you don't do sustainability, you won't exist going forward. Um, and uh, you know, when we're looking at, at things, it's, it's as much the, the cost of doing something as the cost of not doing something yeah. as well. And it's recognising that. And more and more we're seeing in key bids and tenders that uh, sustainability, if we don't, you know, it's actually, we've had some examples recently where it's the top scoring or right. part of the bid. Right. Of the bid. Um, so it doesn't even matter whether we've won on price or not, we've managed to win bids based on sustainability, um, which is, just shows the direction that, that it's going. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, looking forward on that five to 10 year horizon, um, as it becomes more and more part of doing business, you know, the way we're approaching that within Canon is that means the business needs to adopt sustainability. And the days of, let's you know, oh, it's sustainability, it's Peter's team. Yeah, let's chuck it all to Peter's team. It's like, no, 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 this doesn't work anymore. But if you get the business to adopt sustainability, which is fantastic, that pool dynamic, they, you also have to make sure you've got the governance in place yes. to, to kind of manage that process and make sure that um, the actions that they're developing, the programs they're developing, that they're all aligned to your corporate strategy, that, um, that you know, they're not going off at wild tangents, you know, interesting that they may be, um, and making sure that um, you know, it all ladders up to an overall corporate strategy. But, it, you know, I talked about the regulation earlier, and you know, we've. I think what that is going to drive is um, much more uh, interesting data. Okay. Um, you know, the reporting that comes alongside that. We've got there's EU regulations being developed around um, product passports, which again will give consumers and customers much more insight into uh, traceability and again those supply chain issues. Um, overall due diligence requirements as well around human rights, you know, and again, that transparency issue. Um, that's probably the, the, the biggest impact. Yeah, again, like all businesses, net zero is, yes. is you know, a, a key part. Um, and we've got some, Canon's recently actually just uh, submitted to SBTI some 2030 okay. near-term targets. So we're in the process now of saying, what does, <laughs> what does that mean? How, what do we need to do to contribute towards that? And that's also going to require investment, you know, yeah. undoubtedly business cases, looking at where do we, from an operational point of view, what do we need to do um, you know, to, to make changes. Do you find that net zero agenda a, a useful tool or, or has it become so big and all-encompassing that it, it crowds everything else out within the sustainability agenda? I, I, think, um, I think you're right, but it, 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 there is a risk that it will crowd things out. It's, very, it's a useful tool, a useful lever um, to actually deliver emissions reduction, no doubt. And um, everyone is hearing about net zero and recognising it's something they need to do something about. But you know, for us within Canon, circular... Circularity and circular economy is actually our probably our our bigger business focus from a sustainability angle. Our, we've got you know, repair services, our range of remanufactured devices, refurbished devices, um, and that's very much reflecting strong demands that we're seeing across our market, certainly in southern Europe for, yeah. for that. And I, I guess it's sometimes a bit frustrating almost that yeah, net zero is crowding out the the, the discussion, um, and actually circularity is probably one of the key drivers towards net zero. And when you're looking at resource scarcity and you know where are we going to get the raw materials of the future from, um, I think it's it's equally important. And I wonder if the conversation might might 
might move that way in future. Yes, no, indeed. I, I just one other question around the, the practicalities. I'm, I'm interested in the differences you're seeing with your sort of international role at the moment and, and international experience about how different jurisdictions and geographies are, are tackling this. Is, is there a commonality in terms of, of the way that these things are, are going or is there a lot of, of differences? Um, there is a thread, but I think there, there is uh, quite a lot of difference. If I look across uh, our EMEA region, yeah. you can, there's certainly a, a difference in terms of the level of um, maturity or understanding of, of sustainability. So, as you'd expect, Western Europe, relatively mature. Um, going through, as I said, as you move further east, in a way that level of maturity drops. But then, you know, you look at Africa as one of our key markets, they're obviously kind of ground zero in terms of climate change impacts. And they have the, um, you know, the ability really, in the, you know, they don't have to go through the 20 odd years of evolving sustainability story and let's go through environment, environmental management, CSR, they're like, where have that please? Yes. Um, so they're able to jump straight in, which, you know, which in a way is great and again is an opportunity there for businesses. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely a varying picture of both from a regulation point of view and a, and a priority. So as I said, in Southern, in Spain, for instance, are our remanufactured devices are hugely popular and there's a really strong market for there. Um, Nordics, we tend to see more questions in our tenders and bids around um, human rights and those types of issues, social side. So, so yeah, a varying picture really, depending sometimes country by country, but certainly across the region. Super. I, I just sort of pulling it all together now, you've, you've seen a lot of changes. Um, you, you've had a really interesting, varied career. I'm, I'm keen to get your take on, on the advice you'd give to somebody coming in now to develop a career in sustainability. Are there, are there particular uh, directions you'd encourage them to take, skills that you'd encourage them to pick up? What would be your, 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 your ch points of wisdom? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think sustainability more than ever. Um, I think people who don't do sustainability don't understand just what a massive, broad subject it is and that's not just a, a technical level and um, I was actually at a, a, a round table um, a few days ago and we were discussing this that when you get up to a more senior level in sustainability your role is you, you have to maintain that technical knowledge because everyone thinks you're the go-to person for whatever issue it is but actually your your skills are around being you know a change maker an influencer you, know, you have to stay passionate you have to be positive you know try and drive positive change so I guess you know advice is to um, my advice would be either you know it doesn't have to be do everything and I've I suppose I've been more of a generalist than a specialist and and you know gone more down that route but it's to broaden your experience as much as possible look at different organisations look at whether it's moving as I did a bit of consultancy a bit of corporate yeah. but get that um, your the, the skills that you really need in an organisation are actually not just your technical skills. It's about your your ability to be a you know whether it's management and leadership, whether it's to as I said encourage people, coach people, support people. As I said influencing is, is a key one. Writing business cases. Um, you'll probably as a this is a discussion in the week as a if you call it you know the role of a CSO probably one of the most multi-skilled person people in an organisation. If you think of a CFO, they understand numbers and a bit of management. Um, so apart from the CEO who has that broad view, 
um, you have such a, a kind of breadth of responsibility um, to drive what you need to do. So, you know, to build up to that, just broaden your experience and work with different functions, different people, and you know, take those opportunities. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you've found that as fascinating as I have an insight into a, a career in sustainability. Um, thank you very much for, for watching and listening. Mm -hmm.